think for a minute today about how likely it is that something we want to have happen actually happens. So how likely is it for our desire to become reality? And I'm going to say a few things and then I'll invite you, whether online, to uh, unmute or chat, uh, whether you're somewhere in East Lansing or somewhere around the world. Uh, So glad to have um, you all as I scan across the names and uh, it's wonderful to join together um, online and here. So I'm going to give you some categories. Um, So how likely is it for our desire to become reality? Uh, Well, sometimes we say certainly it will. Sometimes we say, well, probably it will. Sometimes we say maybe. And sometimes we say, well, we can only hope. (laughs) And sometimes we say there is no hope. So uh, help me with this. Spring will come. That's a hope I have. I think we can say certainly spring will come. It definitely will come. How about we've had our last big snowfall for the winter? You say, well, probably. Um, probably it's March. We're thinking we might be past that. We've had our last big COVID wave. Well, we say maybe. Maybe. We'd like to think that's true. Maybe. Uh, social media will bring more good than bad. I'd say, well, we can only hope. <laughs> and then very sobering. We'll have no more wars. And we say there's, there's no hope, humanly speaking, of that happening. So, so help me with this. I give you some examples that I thought of. What are some things that we hope for that will certainly happen? Is there anything that we know? I hope this will come, and I know it's going to come. Taxes. Taxes. <laughs> You're hoping for taxes. Hoping for the refund. Yeah. Something else we hope for that really will come. Yeah. Graduation. Oh, good. I'm glad you're so kind. That's good, because yours is just weeks away, right? Ah, that is good. It certainly will come. Good. Anything else we hope for? And it certainly is going to come, no doubt. The Lord will return. The Lord will return. That is good. That is good. How about the probably category? Here's something I'm hoping for, and yeah, this is probably going to happen. Oh, my birthday. Ah, now that will certainly come. Sorry, I missed that. That is great. Um, Chitaru, that's good. Yeah, that will certainly come. Probably. Anything else that will probably come we're hoping for? Hmm. Pretty high likelihood thing that it'll come. <laughs> I, MSU potty training. Oh, there we go. That is good. That is a good one. Yeah, that will certainly come. I know it doesn't feel like it, but um, yeah, it'll be 50 degrees this week. That will probably happen. Uh, that's, that is a good thing. And MSU will get in the tournament. That will probably happen. Um, how about the maybe category? We say this is something I really want, and maybe it'll happen. What do you think? Is there something? Somebody will make pie for pie day. Somebody will make pie for pie day, yes. Yeah. Yeah, pie day is coming, and I know some places give out pies for that. Maybe I'll find that. How about, yes, children? A job. Yeah, yep, yep, maybe that'll work out. Yeah, I think a little more confidence than that, but you never know, right? How about the we can only hope category? What are some things we hope for? And it's like, well, we can hope that that's the case, but I don't know. Big Ten team would win the tournament. We can sure hope for that. Yeah. Something will happen to Putin and he'll uh, change his mind. 
Yeah, so we can only hope that somehow there will be a, a stop of this progress of, of attack with Putin. And yeah, uh, we can hope for that. It's hard to see it, but we can hope for that. Yeah. Are there some things that you think of and you say, you know what, I want this, but I just don't see it working out? I gave you one of mine with social media. But no, with, with no more wars, it's like, you know, we can just hope that there will be a, a stop of violence and conflict between peoples. You say, well, but that's just part of our world. Personally, don't have to say this out loud, but where do you put when you say, I'm hoping for renewed strength in following God? And just for your own thoughts, think about that. Does, does this go into the category that says, well, certainly that's coming? <laughs> Or is it, well, I, I sure hope. Wouldn't that be nice? That would sure be a good thing. And I, and I hope for that. Seeing God do a wonderful work in our world. Right? Where does that fall? Does that fall in the category that says, well, I know that's coming. I think, well, our world is really pretty messed up. Or how about seeing God do a wonderful work in our lives? Seeing God's wonderful restoration of the world. Will we see this? And where do these things fall? Today, we're looking at Isaiah 40. I'd like you to have that in front of you. I'll put it on the screen. Um, It's titled Soaring with Eagles. We'll talk more about this drawing. We're looking at Isaiah because today is um, a a day when we celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper. And a part of our tradition as a church is to cycle through different uh, parts of the gospel each time. And today is the part of our six-month cycle that says we're going to focus on God. And this prompted me a chapter. I look back and I've never preached on the whole chapter and it's just an amazing chapter. I'm thrilled with it. Excited to step into it together. To make sense of this chapter, um, let me just say a quick word about the rise and fall of ancient Israel. Uh, Ancient Israel, this this group of people that God rescued. They rescued them, he formed them and he gave them a land. And he said to them, worship me alone. And for a while, things looked really good. And they did worship him, pretty much worshiping him alone. And yet, they went back to a thing that was a part of their past, and and they worshiped other gods again. And it wasn't too long before they went to civil war, and the country split, never to go back together again. And then the northern kingdom, Israel, was permanently destroyed. That God said, I've had enough of the rebellion. I've had enough of their worshiping other gods. And he said, that's it. It's over. And they were conquered by the Assyrian army. And that was over. And so then we come to the time when Judah, the southern kingdom, when it was split, they were behaving no better. Uh, That they were in some ways more problematic. And yet they had a, a pride about them that we're God's preferred people. In Isaiah 39, just before the chapter that we're looking at now, we read this. So God sent a prophet, and that prophet came and said, Judah will be destroyed. And Hezekiah was king. He was a very selfish king. And this is what Hezekiah said. The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Such a sad time. When he says, oh, well, the country's going to get destroyed, but at least it'll be fine for me. It was a sad time. And so that was in Isaiah 39. And by Isaiah 39, the nation was declared destroyed 
because the people failed to worship God alone over and over again. And so then, as Isaiah described it, the monarchy was ended. That they had the pride of saying, we have a continuous line of kings under David, and it was over. The leaders were taken out of power. The temple, their pride and joy, their, the connection with God, their temple was destroyed. The palace was destroyed. The, 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 the capital city was destroyed. And most everyone had been deported to, to Babylon, to another country. They're, they're sent out. And they didn't deserve to be rescued. This was their fault. It's not because some enemy was now really powerful. God said it's because of who you are and what you were doing. And the people who lived through this felt there is no hope. Trouble is beyond what we can understand, and we deserve it. And so clearly the people wondered, does God want to rescue people like us? Is God able to rescue people like us? Will God rescue people like us? I'm convinced that the writing of this chapter is not just for those people. It was, it was actually written for people before the fall of Judah. Written also for people after the fall of Judah. I'm convinced written for us today as well. And when I think about us, for you, for me, are there days when you say there's no hope? For some of us, it is. There's no hope for this marriage. There's no hope for this relationship. There's no hope for this community of people. There's no hope for me. We see so much trouble and signs of more trouble that's coming. And so we also wonder, does God want to rescue us? And sometimes we ask the question, does God even know what we need to be rescued from? Does he, is he aware? Does he care? And, and if he does, is he actually able to do something? And sometimes I think, well, he could make the universe, but my situation, given it's me and, and the people that I see, I'm not sure. And we say, will God rescue us? So I want to take a minute to pray and just express in our hearts to God. And, and maybe this is true for you. Maybe this is true for somebody you love and you care for. And, and you say, we wonder. Where is God? Can he? Does he want to? Will he help? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray now as people who need help. Sometimes we do a good job presenting ourselves as not needing help, saying we're doing pretty well. And yet, Father, for many of us, and for all of us at certain times, we are at the end of ourselves, and we need help. And sometimes we're not sure you care. Sometimes we're not, we're not sure you, you even know. Sometimes it feels like you're just not going to do anything in my life. And so, Father, right now we, we just look to you and ask that you would speak. Spirit, we ask that you would do your work in us. Would you help us now? Do your work for each one of us and in us together. That we would see your glory. Through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen. Uh, we're going to walk through Isaiah 40. Uh, 
few comments along the way and reflect on this. As we do that, I encourage you to hear God speak with authority through these words that are intended for us as well. So Isaiah, starting at the first verse, I think this chapter answers three questions. And the first question that was in the mind of the people was, does God even want to rescue people like us? Does he even want to rescue sinful and rebellious people? So Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Just say a quick word here. I just love that God says, comfort my people. God says, still says, you are my people. And he still describes himself as your God. He hasn't abandoned them. He still says, I still claim you as my people. And you're in trouble. And this word comfort, part of it is compassion. Right? To, to just feel with people the, the, the weight, the burden, the pain. It's not just compassion. Because it is also, as we'll see, a statement to say, give them courage. Help them to be courageous for the step, the path ahead of them. And the reality is that we're here because of our sins. She was there because of her sins, Israel, that her trouble was deserved. And yet this statement, her sin has been paid for, right? This, this statement that it's not that she's paid for it, but Jesus has paid for their sin. So he says, bring comfort to my people, says your God. Verse three, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I just want to highlight that line. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. This is an expression that God will show himself in his goodness. His, his goodness that so often is hidden from us. When we see God's glory, we see his goodness revealed. He is present with us. So then verse 6, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass. And all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God endures forever. He says, cry out. The, the, the grass withers and the flowers fall. Human efforts will always fall far short. They will always disappoint us. They will never be able to accomplish what we need them to do because they're a part of an expression of human will and human ability, and it always withers and dies. But the word of our God endures forever. God has promised to rescue his people, and he most definitely will, because God's promise always happens. So verse 9, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So bring news to, to Zion. Bring news to Jerusalem. 
bring news to the people who have been destroyed because of their own sin. To the ones who deserve their trouble. Come to them. Don't be afraid. Lift up your voice. Shout from the mountaintops. Here is your God. Here is your God who has come. To show his glory. To show his goodness. God will be with his people. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will come. And this is what John the Baptist said when he came. Here he is. He is coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 10. See, the Sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. And carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I love the expression here. He says, the Lord comes with power. He's victorious. He's mighty. He's stronger than any other force. And yet, he also comes to gently lead. And I love the expression, God's arm is used in both ways. God's arm is a mighty arm. It's a mighty power. It's authority over everything that might oppose him. And God's arm is also the one that gently gathers the weak, the lowly, those who struggle. The people of God wondered, does God even want to rescue people like us who deserve our trouble? Does God want to rescue sinful, rebellious people? And the answer is a resounding yes. This is the heart of God. God longs to rescue those who are in trouble and deserve it. And that's all of us. Right? The, the message is prepare a highway for him to come. Because he's coming with good news. Build the road that he's going to come across. Prepare the way because he is coming. And catch that. Prepare because he is coming. Don't prepare thinking, well, maybe if we make the road good enough, he'll come. <laughs> no, he's coming. He's coming. So prepare the way, John the Baptist said. The Messiah is coming. Prepare your hearts for him. To prepare is to confess our wrong. To say we have the trouble that we deserve. We need help to change. Prepare the way. I think this this message comes in a couple of different time frames. The first is this expectation that the Messiah would come. John the Baptist said, prepare the way. The Messiah is here. He's coming. Will you prepare your hearts for him? And I'm convinced it applies to us each today that God wants to rescue you and me and live richly in each of us by his spirit. So he says, prepare the way because he does want to rescue. And the hope that one day the son of man will come again. And, And so the call is prepare a highway of hearts that are ready because he is coming. Does God want to rescue sinful, rebellious people? Yes. I used to think that, that God the Father is the one who, who, who looked on us and said, you're in trouble, and God the Son said, well, I'll help. I can solve this. But salvation comes from the heart of the Father. God loves to rescue sinful, rebellious people. We'll turn to him. So the second question. Well, if God wants to, can he? Is God able to rescue sinful, rebellious people? So we're at verse 12 in Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? 
Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales or the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who is it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Uh, two things here just to, to highlight. I, I love this expression that, that who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. So God holds his hand out and just in, in the little part of the palm, all the waters of the earth fit right in there, right? Who else is like that? That he takes all that there is and it's so small. He can measure these things out a drop in a bucket. And you can't even tell the difference. If you take the drop in, put it out, you can't even tell. This is what the world is like to God. And then he says, who can fathom, who can measure the depth of the spirit of the Lord. So God looks at humanity, he looks at the whole world and it's tiny. And we don't have a chance in the world to measure the extent of God. In his creation, he did it. It's all from him. He did it alone because he is the one who is great. Verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals among uh, enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. In those days, Lebanon was famous for its great forests and abundant wild animals. He says, even if you took everything that Lebanon has, it's not enough just to be a single burnt offering for God. He is so great. We are as nothing before him. Verse 18, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. The reasoning here is that God created people and then people create these lifeless things. So why in the world do we turn and worship the second generation that has no life in it? That the best we can hope for is it won't fall over. It can't walk, it can't do anything. We just hope it doesn't topple. Why do we turn there? Verse 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Verse 23, he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground. Then he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. Princes seem so powerful. Even today we look at kings and princes and we think, wow, We look at rulers and we say they have so much power to do so much harm. And yet the psalmist says, compared to God, they are nothing. That fearing people and trusting in people is pointless. Because God is the one who has authority over all. So verse 25, God says, to whom will you compare me? 
Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. To highlight it, in, in, in those societies, they worship the stars as gods, as, as gods up in the sky, and, and they had these great powers, and yet God describes it as God made the stars and he treats them like pets, gives them each names, and he, he can call them, right? Not literally doing that, but, but saying they are as, as a gerbil in a cage to him. Right? They are just so small. He has complete authority over them. Is God able to rescue people? Is God able to rescue even out of a great trial? Is God able to rescue sinful and rebellious people? And clearly the answer is yes. Even though God's people were conquered and scattered, even though it was their own fault, even though they were ruled by the most powerful nation in the world that they knew, The same is true for us today. The world deserves the trouble we have. We do too. And the troubles keep getting worse. Yet, God says that he is God over all. There is no power that can slow down God in doing what he does. He commands the the stars what to do. He can direct as he chooses. Whatever God chooses to do, he can do. Is God able to rescue? Without a doubt, he has the authority to do all that is needed. And so then the third question, Isaiah 40 is, will God rescue sinful, rebellious people? He wants to, he can, but will he? Verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Why do you complain? Why do you say God is ignoring me? We think, well, you know, if God is able to rescue us, and yet we still have trouble, maybe he just doesn't know. I'm not important enough. He doesn't care. Maybe I'm not not important enough to him, and so that's why I have trouble. And yet Isaiah disagreed. Isaiah says, you know, you might have trouble, but God is at work. And you need to know that his understanding is beyond your own. His understanding no one can fathom. So these great words from verse 28 on. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. And increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But... Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you not know? Haven't you heard? The everlasting God, whose wisdom is beyond anything that we can understand, he does help those who are weak. He gives strength to those who are weary, increasing the power of the weak. For those who hope in the Lord. One of the descriptions I I read of this this week, I found so helpful that to hope in the Lord is to have a consistent, a confident and persistent expectation of God's loving work. To hope in God is to say, I know he is good. 
And when I call out to him, I know he will help. And I will keep watching for it. This is to hope in God. And he says, if you will hope in God, then here's what you'll do. You will soar on wings like eagles. It is just such a beautiful expression of what it is to have the spirit of the living God living and loving through people. God wants to rescue. God is able to rescue. Will God rescue sinful, rebellious people? Well, the answer is for all who hope in the Lord, a resounding yes. God will rescue sinful, rebellious people when we cry out to him, when we hope in him. We're promised strength for today. And I love the expression that you will run without getting weary. You will walk and not be faint. And that is really, to me, is an expression of persevering, right? Of continuing in the journey that says, this is a long journey. It's a hard one, but he will renew our strength. We will continue on that journey. But I love the fact that this is not merely survival. Because he says, for those who hope in the Lord, you will soar on wings like eagles. And this is not merely surviving. This is an amazing picture of an ability that's beyond human. And it's not merely persevering, it's soaring with God. It's a picture of the spirit of the living God powerfully at work in us. We have strength for today and we have a great hope for the day of the Lord as we've been looking at it two weeks ago. The sudden day when the Son of Man will come and all will be made right. We have the hope for that final rescue. So Isaiah 40, the the, the logic of it is to say, here was a nation that was in trouble because of its own sins, because of its own bad approach to life. And they asked, does God want to rescue the sinful, rebellious people? Well, yes. Is God able to rescue the sinful, rebellious people? Yes. Will God rescue the sinful, rebellious people? And the answer is yes, when they hope in him. The idea I see is, as I puzzle over this chapter is, is that God is willing, able, and committed to rescue and transform those who trust in Jesus Christ. He is willing, able, and committed to rescue and to transform those who trust in Jesus Christ. But this is actually so much weaker than what we see in the chapter. God is eagerly willing. He doesn't just say, oh, well, I suppose I should help them out. Right? And his parents, I confess, sometimes I think, okay, I suppose I should come and help with this trouble. Right? God is eager to do it. He longs to do it. And God isn't just barely able to do it. He is abundantly able to rescue And he is fully committed to rescue, but not just to rescue like you survived. It's to completely rescue and fully transform those who trust in Jesus Christ. This is our God for all who will hope in him. So if you you see this drawing uh, from Karen, uh, if you can see some of the things that are happening there, we've got some people who are fighting with each other. Uh, We've got storms and natural disasters going on. Somebody in despair of just running out of hope. And uh, if you can tell, the, the other one there is, it's, it's, it's an idol. It's the things that we look to to say, you know what, technology is going to solve this. Or I heard about this book that talks about having a good attitude, and that's going to solve this. And all these other things we hope in end up broken. This world has so many troubles, so many troubles, and it seems so big and overwhelming. It's helped me to think that our world is actually more like this. 
God stands outside our troubles and it's kind of like those snow globes, you know, the snow globes that just shake it and the snow goes up and it slowly settles. That's what God sees when he sees our world. I see it as a world out of control. And he says, no, it's a world that it's so small compared to God that, that the world and all that is in it fits in the palm of his hand, just like a snow globe. It is so tiny, so small, its problems don't threaten him. And yet this amazing thing that God does As you see, he sends his presence, he sends his spirit into it. God entered our world to show his glory. Jesus Christ came for 33 some years. He he lived and and demonstrated the work of God and accomplished the work of God in our world. And and he says, when I leave, I'm going to leave another to be with you. And the spirit of God here until Jesus returns. And so then one more piece to the picture. And that is the hands of God who take the snow globe and unscrews it and changes it to be what it's supposed to be. All that threatens all the powers. He says, I'm going to take this when Jesus returns. He will dismantle all the powers of evil, making everything work like heaven. The problems of the world are not threatening to God. He has the power to do his work, to rescue, to be present in the midst of the trouble and someday to dismantle all that's wrong and make it his way because God is eagerly willing, abundantly able and fully committed to completely rescue and fully transform those who trust in his son. Application? Boldly hope in the Lord. Boldly hope in the Lord. Those who put their hope in the Lord, they're the ones who renew their strength. We need to look outside the globe. We keep thinking there must be something in here that'll make it better, but it won't. It can't. It's all going to be like grass and flowers that tomorrow are gone. When we look to God, he will help us run, walk, and to soar on wings like eagles. He says, guess what? I'm going to send power. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come on you and you will receive power. The power of the living God. The power of the God who raised from the dead. That same power, he says. That will be at work in you. He says, here's what it's going to be like. When, when you soar on wings like eagles, here's what it's going to be like. You're going to have love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All is evidence of the glory of God in you. This is the promise that he says, if you will put your hope in the Lord, you will soar on wings like eagles, showing the character and the glory of God. He says he will work all things together for the good of bringing his glory into our lives. And sometimes this will come through trouble, or sometimes it will come around trouble, right? God delivers, and people pray and say, God, would you bring healing? Would you bring deliverance? And he does. And it's a delight when we see God do that. Often, he works things together for good through trouble, as we see in Jesus. It was through trouble that God's glory was shown. We're to have bold hope in our God because he is able to rescue, to be present, to bring his goodness. It is a life of confident expectation for God's presence and work. This is, I don't know, this is is a tough situation, but here's what I know. God will renew the strength of those who hope in him and he will do his work. The statement from Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? The bold confidence that says God is present, God is good, And as we trust him, he will work. Now, I do want to say it's for his agenda, not ours. Right? Sometimes we say, well, here's the work I want you to do. 
And God says sometimes, okay, that's the work I want to do. Sometimes he says, no, here's the work I want to do. And I confess, sometimes this feels like an excuse for low expectations. Right? My prayer becomes, well, God, I know you could heal, but you probably won't. So I'll ask you because I'm supposed to. But I know you're not probably going to do it. Right? And, and I do this about so many things. Say, God, this, this the heart of somebody, I, I want to see your, your life, your hope, your goodness in this person's heart, but you probably won't do it because you do your own thing and not mine, right? And so sometimes it can feel like low expectations, but actually, I now see this is where my boldness and enthusiasm comes from. Because imagine this horrible situation. If God did what any Christian asked him to do, are you scared? <laughs> Right? If God just did the things that I said, I think this is what you ought to do, sometimes a horrible mess the world would be made into. I am so thankful that he does the work that in his wisdom he knows to do, and he invites us to be a part of crying out to him for that. So a life of confident expectation for God's presence and work, this comes through prayer, comes through praise, it comes through obedience, based on a trust in him. Another error I've made, I've thought, Hope is something that happens to me. And I realize now hope is a choice. To put your hope in God is a choice. And one way I think about it is retelling the reasons for our confident expectations. To say again, why do we have hope here today? (laughs) Because we worship the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth whose, whose understanding no one can fathom. Who will never grow tired and weary. That's why we have hope. I think of it a bit as the opposite of complaining. And, and the NIV actually translated, why do you complain, Jacob? And here's what we do when we complain. We retell our troubles. We retell the reasons why hope is a bad idea right now. That's complaining. Hope is a choice. We retell the reason why we are confident in our God and who he is and what he will do. We are to boldly hope in the Lord. And, as Isaiah said, we're to boldly make known the hope of our God. I love this expression from uh, the middle of what we read. You who bring good news, go up on a high mountain, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid, say, here is your God. What an invitation. What a statement. Boldly go out and say, there is a God who is all-powerful and all-good, and he will help you as you cry out to him. So we go out and we say for all who put their hope in Jesus, he is eager and abundantly able to help. And and Isaiah clearly points to the coming of Jesus. And so he says, put your hope in him. No situation has begun God's power to bring his glory. Yet sometimes I think, well, that's generally true, but it's not going to be true in my case in this situation. And then I complain. And I say, here's why it won't work here. As opposed to hoping and retelling why God is able and eager and will rescue. And again, to say the path may be different from what we would pick, and yet his understanding, no one can get to the bottom of it. His love is so good, it's beyond what I could understand. And the reality is that apart from Jesus, every other hope will fail. They can look so compelling. They say, oh, this is so good. This will make it work. This new way of thinking about relationships or, or this, this scientific approach or this engineering or this person, so many other things say, this is where to put your hope. Every other hope will fail. So there are two things that are tragic, I think, in this. 
One is, it is tragic to proclaim this hope when I don't have hope. It's tragic to say to people, oh, our God is a great God and he can do anything. Except I'm kind of discouraged and I'm going to complain. Right? And it's tragic when we proclaim a hope that in the abstract is ours, but we're not living with it. It's a tragic thing. We, we still should proclaim the glory of our God, but how sad to proclaim the glory of God without hope. On the other hand, it's also tragic to have this hope and not proclaim it. To say, I know this, and people are lost and discouraged and, and think there is no hope, and I don't say anything. You bring good news. Go up on a high mountain, lift your voice and shout. Don't be afraid. Say, here is your God, because God is eagerly, willing, abundantly able, and fully committed to completely rescue and fully transform those who trust in his Son. Do you feel like grass that withers and flowers that fall? Would you rather soar on wings like eagles? And that's the invitation of this chapter, is to put your hope in the Lord. When you put your hope in the Lord, you will soar on wings like eagles. For all who put their hope in Jesus, God is doing a wonderful work in our world. For all who put their hope in Jesus, God is doing a wonderful work in our lives. And we will see God's wonderful restoration of our world. Notice, it is in these days an emphasis on strength. The barriers might not leave until later. But he says, I'm going to give you strength for whatever it is that you face. And so I'll say from my own experience, sometimes this strength that God promises is an immediate strength. Sometimes I've had the experience that I go to God in prayer and all of a sudden my heart has changed. And where there was despair, he, he just grants a hope and a courage that says, this is good. And there's a joy that comes in the moment. What a delight it is. Sometimes, sometimes it starts so tiny. Yet there is a growing momentum. They're like trying to push on a boulder. It's like I can never get this thing to move. And yet when we persevere in it, all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I think it's moving. And then pretty soon it's rolling and it's getting faster. And this is sometimes the way the work of God is. When we put our hope in God, we will soar on wings like eagles as the power and the presence of God is in us and among his people. So the invitation today is, will you put your hope in God today? Not just in the abstract, but in the reality of where we live today. Just kind of read those, those last verses and then provide a time of silence and then wrap this up in prayer. So listen to the word of God. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Let's pray in silence, listening, talking with God.
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for words of comfort and courage today. We ask that you would do your work in our hearts, that you would help us to hope in you, and that as we do that, you would give us strength, and even more, that you would empower us by your spirit to soar on wings like eagles as we wait to see you face to face. Through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen.